This is a personal and private recording by a member of the U.S. Air Force. Codename, Project Blue Book. Case file, 11,004. Designated, Stonefall. January 7th. Before I went to bed last night, I got a call from the sheriff. He invited me over for dinner tonight. Said it would be nice for me to meet his wife and kids. Apparently, they've heard a lot about me. The sheriff's been a great help since I arrived, and been absolutely fine with my sweeping in and kind of taking over, so I said yes. At about six o'clock tonight, an almighty storm started whipping up. I've been told they happen quite regularly here. This small town seems to attract the extremes of weather that hit the east coast. I was just starting to walk over to the sheriff's house when it got really bad. The whole place took on a different form. The tall trees swayed violently, looking like great shadowy monsters peering down at me as if I was their prey. The sky was menacingly dark, and the rain was blowing all over the place. I could hear the whip of the river against itself as the wind churned it. I felt intimidated, and I wondered how Johnny and Martha must be feeling. I considered our efforts so far to find them, and realized just how poor they'd been. We'd searched everywhere we could, The sheriff and his officers had interviewed every resident in the town, but it hadn't been enough. I planned to suggest to the sheriff this evening that he should contact New Haven and mount another search. And I planned to finally get concrete proof about whether there had been a ship. An unidentified ship, that is, not whatever it was Elliot Hall had claimed. In the skies above Stonefall on the 28th of December. But the suggestions I was going to make to the sheriff got waylaid. Firstly, by the excitement of his children and his charming wife, who made every effort to make me feel at home. In their warm, cozy sitting room, I completely forgot about the storm outside, about extraterrestrials, and, I'm sorry to say, about Johnny and Martha. And then we sat down to dinner, which the sheriff took great delight in telling me was fish he'd caught himself. His wife, Alana, told me that the real skill came in the cooking, and she'd done that herself. His children, one ten years old and the other six, were beautiful, loud and chatty, and it seemed strange that they were so unlike their father in this sense. I realized how few children I'd seen since I arrived here. They were often the most perceptive. Maybe it would be worth paying a visit to the school. The next distraction came from the sheriff himself. After dinner, he took me to his office at home. It was a small room with a desk and some bookshelves, filled mostly with novels, books about fishing, and cranberry farming. My dad was a cranberry farmer, he explained. Attached to one of the other walls was a rectangle of wood with rounded edges. He could see me looking at it, wondering why the hell it was there and what purpose it served. He smiled. This is what he'd wanted to show me. He pulled down the edge of the wood, and strings came down with it. It was a desk, and when attached to the wall, it concealed a small indented bookshelf. There were sheets of paper on the wood. I looked closer. There were photos, including ones I recognized as the McMinnville photos from 1950. There were sketches and files that I knew from previous Blue Book cases. I asked him how the hell he'd got hold of these, and he just said he'd come by them. The books were all about the existence of extraterrestrials and the true nature of unidentified objects. I looked at him surprised, and he looked a little shy. I'd been in Stonefall almost a week, 
and I asked why he hadn't mentioned this before. He said it would be unprofessional, but he wanted to show he respected what I did and put more faith in it than I may have given him credit for. And then he said there was another reason. He said the reason he was so skeptical about the madman was because he was worried his ravings, the sheriff's word, would discredit people who had genuinely seen extraterrestrials and were of sound mind. I told him that was an odd thing to worry about, and he said that yesterday had encouraged him to finally come clean to me. He had seen an extraterrestrial. It was when he was younger and growing up in Stonefall. There were two classes at the school then, he explained, and he'd been out playing one night with his friends. His father had forbidden him from going to the woods or near the river when it was dark, and so they were in the town square. He said he and his friends had been making a lot of noise and it was disturbing people. They were collected by their parents and taken to the town hall where a meeting was going on. We don't really have those anymore, he said. But the sheriff's dad didn't show, and so he was there on his own. He saw a man with shining silver skin and in a military uniform on the edge of the square in the shadows. He went closer and he spoke to him. The man didn't reply. And when the sheriff tried to look closer for him, he couldn't find him. The sheriff showed me a sketch he'd done of the man. The story was almost identical to what we'd been told by the man from Massachusetts. And I said that surely that would be cause to believe him. Surely it would also be cause to suspect extraterrestrial involvement in Johnny and Martha's disappearance. The sheriff went silent and said, that's what I'm worried about. This extraterrestrial, if indeed he was one, had had no interest in taking anybody on his previous visits, which could be placed at three and thirty years ago. So why now? The man from Massachusetts seemed convinced that we were dealing with a different species, if that's the right word. But perhaps this species were now more advanced. Perhaps before they were scouting, and now they'd come back. I asked the sheriff if he'd ever seen any lights in the sky, and he said no. I believed him. Then there was a frantic knock on his office door. It was Alana. <sighs> the events that unfolded across the rest of this evening are hard to relate, and it is with great disappointment that I record them. Although I have undeniably been skeptical about the nature of people in this town, I'm beginning to find real glimmers of hope and humanity. It's there in the sheriff and his family, in the witness Louise Finch, and in the man from Massachusetts. But every town has those that let the side down. Alana came to get me in the sheriff and told us she'd seen Johnny and Martha's father and his friends, those I'd seen in the bar the previous evening, heading towards the bridge that crosses the river. There's only one place they could have been going. The sheriff insisted we go to the station first, despite the fact he had his gun. He collected flashlights and contacted his other officers, telling them to go to the shack. We then hurried towards the bridge, but Peter and his friends would have already reached their destination. I knew Peter Lewis was paranoid and suspicious of the outsider living on the other side of the river, but I hadn't expected anything like this. As we made our way through the woods, we could already see the flames. We moved as quickly as we could, and by the time we reached the shack, it was engulfed. 
I rushed towards the entrance, kicking open the door. I was greeted by a rush of flames that managed to move out of the way just in time. I peered inside but saw nothing. I told the sheriff to look for Peter and his friends, but he told me they'd be long gone. I could only assume that the man from Massachusetts was still inside his home and had perished in the flames. Stonefall was created and written by James Mortimer, read by Rebecca Malewish. Music by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons.